Hey everyone, hey and welcome back to yet another episode of Alpha Metallica. This is your host, Tom Kui here. We are discussing the first Unforgiven song. This is the first episode in our Unforgiven trilogy. Uh, if you're new to the show, it is myself and a guest going through every single song in Metallica's back catalogue in alphabetical order. Uh, follow us at MetallicaPod on Twitter. I've got a lot of song reviews from there, a lot of interactions. MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you want to come on the show. We pretty much filled all the song slots, but if you want to do a top five or, you know, I want to do a lot of biographies of the boys and the producers stuff and if you want to hop on for that i'll be glad to have you patreon is there itunes is there uh, spotify youtube all that sort of stuff you've heard this a million times and you've not only heard this a million times on my show but you've heard uh, my man ethan here from metal your podcast say it a lot as well i'm very much the unforgiven too to their unforgiven <laughs> over there uh ethan how's it going it's going well man i'm happy to be back on the show man i've uh it's been it's been a little while. You just reminded me that it was two years ago that we did Blackened. So, uh, you know, Ethan and Clint have obviously been on the show together, and I've been on their show and stuff like that. But when I first started the show and first found out about you guys, obviously I wanted to get you both on, and um, me and Clint did better than you. And I think this the next episode, the 15th episode, was Blackened. And I could have sworn it was this year, but yeah, it was the 31st of July, 2017. <laughs> it was more than two That's, years ago. It's just over two years ago, man. It's so crazy. I mean, where does it go? Where does it go, Ethan? Like, <laughs> listen to Metallica. Knows, like, I, feel, yeah. I feel like the, old, the older I get, like somebody hit a fast forward button and it's just going quicker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like you know, not to. Um, well, no, this is, I was gonna say to shame you, but this is something to be proud of. But like, you legit remember the Black Album being released, right? Like, you were a teenager at that time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I was. Uh, let's see. I, it was. I was. Uh, let's see. It came out in England. So I was. About twelve or thirteen years old, oh, prime almost age. turned thirteen. Yeah, man, and and I had already gotten into Metallica, and uh, you know, with with Puppets and Justice. But the Black Album was the first album that I like. Like it was like the first new record for me because the other uh, the rest of the stuff had already been out, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that was my first new Metallica album to come out. So uh, having gotten into Justice because the one video, and then going to get, going back into the back catalog a little bit. It was so exciting. I remember exactly where I was when I got the record. I was in Santa Barbara, California on vacation with my family. And my dad took me to the record store. And it, it was supposed to come out the next day, but the record store had copies out already a day early on accident. And the guy let me buy one. So I had it on cassette first. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I, I, but just before we get to Metallica and The Unforgiven, obviously because of Metal Your Podcast, I, like many other people... Kind of curious about your and Ethan's lives, like these kind of touring rock stars and stuff. And, you know, we get we, a... <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I wouldn't know about Need to Breathe if it wasn't for you. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't right, know about right, Bayside. Yeah. I wouldn't know about um, Rodney Atkins, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the life that me and Clint, uh, you know, live is, is it's not for everybody. I'll tell you that it's it's it can be grueling. I bet. You're gone a lot from your loved ones, from your home. You miss a lot of things like weddings and funerals and birthdays and all sorts of stuff. Um, yeah, it's not for everybody, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. You know, I still love traveling mm-hmm. and seeing the world. And uh, it, it's it's a to me, it's a gift, you know, to be able to do something like this. And, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I started touring when I was 18. So I'm in like year 22 of touring, which to me doesn't make sense. <laughs> like. <laughs> 
I know the math, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I can't believe I'm still doing this and like I can pay my bills. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the dream. That is the true dream. Like you know, being yeah. professional from that. Like yeah, that I'm very envious of that. And the reason I bring that up is because I know you and your partner and maybe a few friends. You were touring through Europe like just in the past two weeks or so, right? A couple. Yeah, I just got home less than a week ago. Yeah, we. Uh, my wife had planned out this this European UK vacation because most of the time our vacations revolve around my tour schedule, where like okay, this tour is going to end in this city. Why don't you fly down? Then we'll stay an extra couple of days or a week or something. So this was the first time in a, in a while where we planned out a total vacation that didn't have anything to do with my tour schedule. And uh, and it was great. Like, yeah, we went to, we were in London for a couple nights, uh, the night that, you know, I was hoping you'd be there to, to meet up in Shepherd's Bush area because a bunch of other people were there. And we were all, we were all, we were giving you a little bit of a hard time oh, that no. night. But, uh, <laughs> How, how, how was that meetup? I saw a couple of the photos of it. That's so great that you can go to the other end of the country and people want to meet I know, you. man. It was super cool. It, yeah, it, yeah, a few people came out and hung out with us. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't want to plan like a full-on meetup like the way we do it for our anniversary parties sure. and stuff like that. But I thought it'd be fun just to contact a few people we've gotten close to with the show. And they brought a friend or two. And, and yeah, there was like five or six people that came. We hung out at, at, at this place called BrewDog, which I, I, every time – when I was working with Kings of Leon, we would always stay in that area whenever we were in London. And so I got to know that area really well. And, and uh, so I just picked that place and we all hung out. It was a really good time and we had so much fun and, uh, and uh, it was cool for my wife to, to meet a couple people. And, yeah. And now she, now she's following them on social media. It's really fun, you know. <laughs> um, and so how, how, I mean, you know, I know you went a lot of places, but how did you find London? You've been here a lot, obviously, but yeah, I've been know. to London probably 15 or so times. Um, sometimes i'm there for a few days sometimes it's just overnight whatever but i mean i love london there's i mean it's london's kind of like the you know the new york of of the uk sure. it's it's so big and there's so much to see and you could spend a couple of days just in one part of town you know um but we had a good time you know we we, we uh mainly hung out with our friend named flip who uh, i met through the kings of leon crew and mm. she's a sweetheart and and uh we stayed in her area she's kind of in the hammersmith area okay and um yeah, we just kind of cruised around and uh, didn't do anything, you know, touristy and like that. Just, you know, of course, I hit a record store, too, and then mm-hmm. uh, got some good food and stuff. We were only there for two days, so we had to kind of kind of go pretty hard while we were there. Um, and then my, and then from there, we went down to the, the Canary Islands, which I know is a big, you know, vacation or holiday destination for, for people in England and Europe and stuff like that. So my wife just kind of discovered that place months ago and was like this place looks amazing we should go and plus for us spain is really cheap yeah 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 it is yeah and uh, and it was just cool because it's this you know there's this group of islands off the coast of africa that is owned by spain but it's part of the african continent so it was really cool to be that close to africa and and so we spent five six days there and then from there went up to Nor- we flew to dublin took a, uh, a bus to belfast northern ireland and hung out there for five days with some friends and um that's one of my most favorite cities out there man is, is belfast if, if you or your listeners have not been over there it's just cool it's it's dublin is kind of like the the new york of ireland you know and then when you get up to belfast up in northern ireland it's just so much more mellow it's not really touristy um yeah it was it was a blast man I, we we were joking about buying a house in belfast <laughs> <laughs> shit Plus, my wife is a my, my wife is a big Game of Thrones fan, so we we went around oh, to a couple Game yeah. of Thrones 
filming location. I've never watched. I've only watched two episodes of that whole show. So sure. she was geeking out, which was really fun for me to watch her geek out on something because it's kind of rare that she does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a huge boost to the economy up there. I think it employs oh, like yeah. every second Irishman has sort of been an extra or something like that. So, so yeah. Well, that and there was like uh, when we were down uh, on the northern coast or sorry, up on the northern coast. There was like tours going on, like Game of Thrones tours that people do. So, I mean, it's, I, I don't think that'll slow down for a good while. I mean, that show was so massive. I mean, they could never, because I, you know, years ago when I went to New York, my dad went on the Sopranos tour. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure they still do it. They couldn't really do a Metallica tour, could they? Because it's kind of all over the place. Like, you, you go to Downey yeah. and then you drive for 10 hours to San Francisco. And, like, <laughs> you know. I mean, I, I, I could see them doing one just in San Francisco. Yeah, there, yeah. the Stone and Metalla Mansion. and Yeah, yeah exactly. The Carlson House, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. James I pissed in this alley once, like, you know. <laughs> right. I, 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 yeah, I mean, and some of that, you know, it's, you know, for Metallica, I think it's more of, you know, iconic shows that happened and stuff like that, you know, rather than just like, well, uh, they had a beer at this bar. It's like, okay, that's cool, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's cooler, like, like the time that I, I, I stopped off in front of their studio and I was like, okay, well, this is where they did St. Anger and Death Magnetic and, and now Hardwired and. And so that was obviously amazing to see. I didn't get to go in, obviously, but just to see the outside of the, of the you know, Metallica's HQ was just like, I was nervous, like, that James was going to come running out with a shotgun and be like, get off my property. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but stuff like that, I think you can do a tour of, you know, I, I think when it comes to TV shows and movies, it's a little, uh, it's an easier thing to do in a certain city that something's filmed in because, sure. you know, every episode is like this important episode. Like for me. When, uh, a couple of years back when I was in Albuquerque for a day off from tour, my friend took me around that lives there on a little Breaking Bad tour. Wow, that's crazy, yeah. Because that's my favorite show of all time now. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm actually currently re-watching it for the third time in preparation for the Breaking Bad movie next month. <laughs> yeah, El Camino, right? Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So so what do you see on that? You see you see the roof free through the pizza. I'm trying to think what else. Just yeah. desert yeah, exteriors so- and... We, we never went out to the de- out too far into the desert. Um, the main things my friend took me to was like Walter White's house, where it's, which is the house he throws the pizza on top mm-hmm. of. Um, at the time, the lady that owned it was very nice, and, if, and and we didn't see her, but apparently she would come out and like be cool to people. Apparently now, if I think it's the same owner, she's like over it and put a fence up around the outside <laughs> yeah. and stuff. She's like, I'm more of a better Cool Soul fan, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but yeah. we went to we did that. We went to the car wash that Walter and Skyler. Of bought, course, is, the car wash. We went yeah. to where uh, the little shopping center where Saul's yeah, uh, yeah, lawyer office strip is. Mall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there so are we quite a to, few. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, we we do. We went to uh, uh, where Jesse and Jane live in that duplex. Oh yeah. Uh, the one where she died and Walter let her choke on her own vomit. Yeah, and stuff. fuck. Yeah. Uh, we went to Tuco's Tuco's place, which is Tuco. a coffee shop. <laughs> Uh, but it was really fun, man. It mm-hmm. was cool. I, I'll have to find the collage of photos and email it over to you. Yeah, I would, lo- I, would lo- I, would, I would love. I would genuinely love to see that. But um, let's talk about Unforgiven then. So, you know, you got the Oh, ta- right. We're talking about yeah. uh, the song. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got the tape beforehand. Um, do you have any memories attached to Unforgiven? Like when you were younger, listening to this record? Was this a big song for you? Or Yeah, man. This was a massive song for me only because... And, and, and a lot of it was the, a lot of the record too, because because the whole album, especially Unforgiven, was such a simpler, you know, simpler riff, simpler songwriting, you know, not as it wasn't it wasn't any really thrash on it, so like that. I was still a young guitar player. I was like th- maybe two or three years into playing guitar. So when songs like Unforgiven came out, it was like, wow, I can play this a lot easier than I could, let's say, Battery or something. Yeah. And so I really gravitated towards Unforgiven. It instantly became one of my favorite songs on the record, and. uh just being able to like 
I couldn't play that solo when I was that no. when I was that young. Uh, I can now, but um, and in th- that song to me, like it, as much as it was played like crazy on the radio and MTV and stuff, it, it never got old to me. You know, Inner Sandman's not even that old. It doesn't get old to me. I still love that song, but Unforgiven. I, th- I still think to this day it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music that Metallica's ever written. And and then you know a couple years, you know, almost I don't know when eight years later when uh, and when um. Apocalyptica released a record of all Metallica covers and Unforgiven was on there. I was like, then I even noticed more beauty in the song, you know, it was, it took it to the next level for me. And I still, to this day, like it's in my top five for sure. Yeah. 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 And the, the opening minute, just before we get into the heavy verse, because consider the track listing, you know, the first, this is the fourth song, the first three songs, Enter Sandman, Sad But True, Holier Than Now, you know, kind of different to a discerning listener, like, a, like yeah. a, a true, but most people, okay, same old sort of metal, Metallica, whatever. But this opening minute, I mean, there's so much going on here. That billowing horn going into those tight <laughs> yeah. nylon strings, you hear like a military drum, you hear a bell. I even caught some like maracas or something in, in, in the distance, like the, the yeah, layers are crazy yeah there's some there's a lot of cool percussion stuff happening in it you know and you can kind of see lars recording some of that in in the uh year and a half in life of metallica uh-huh. um but it's cool yeah i mean even just from the beginning just the, the horn sound um i actually looked this up because i didn't know but the horn the horn intro was taken from a movie called the unforgiven right um I've, I've looked it up i'm guessing that's a western movie but but the, the audio of that they actually reversed for legal reasons for the album Oh, I think I saw that on the Classic Albums documentary that they did. I yeah. think Phil mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But even that right there, and you know, and having that song as the fourth track, it kind of goes with their formula with mm-hmm. like Fade to Black uh, and Sanitarium and stuff, you know, the fourth ballad track. And, uh, and I, the one thing that I really love about the song to this day, I love that the choruses aren't huge. The verses yes. are. Mm-hmm. that's such a big uh, that was such a big difference in their songwriting was trying these new things and um and that was a, a huge thing for me as a young guitar player and just learning I wasn't, I wasn't really writing songs back then i was just learning songs and learning new chords and all this stuff and but to hear that it was you know it was such a such a mind-blowing moment for me as a young musician to hear you know the structure of the song kind of be the opposite of what they normally did yeah, yeah, I love the fact that they reversed that dynamic, and maybe they weren't the first, but certainly they popularized that idea, because like you say, um, you know, think about bands like the Pixies, obviously everyone talks about Nirvana as well, it's the, the soft verses into the heavy choruses. Um, mm-hmm. Listening recently... Well, the, 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 speaking of the Pixies, I mean, even on, like, Where Is My Mind, that's that's in that formula too, uh, yeah. you know, big, big, big verses, you know, quieter yeah. chorus. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, um, Last time we spoke, I think I think when I was on Metal Podcast, you like asked me how I was, and I like went into straight talk about the Minutemen. Just and I think I just yeah. threw them at you. And uh, there's another band that I've listened to because I know you're into that sort of music. Have you ever heard of Wipers, a band from Washington in the eighties? Wipers, Wipers, no, yeah. They were like a big influence on grunge, and they're spoken of a lot as being that soft verse, heavy chorus idea. And they're they're re- okay. re- really good band. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they're kind of like a sort of like I just found them through like related artists on Spotify or whatever. I'm not like this big high fidelity connoisseur or whatever like you know I, I stream all my music and i know clint looks looks his nose down at me but, uh, <laughs> we don't all have tapes my man but you know uh, yeah 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 um but uh but but yeah you know the, that that idea of having the um the heavy chorus into the light but but the actual intro itself then as we have that second guitar coming up with the melody line like what do you make about the first minute before hetfield drops in 
Oh, I mean, to me, it was just building tension to what's coming next, you know, especially kind of having mm-hmm. that sitar vibe in there yeah. um, on the lead. I, I just I love it. I still love it. And I think that, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good moment in the song where the, it, it just kind of goes layer by layer in the intro before the big, huge verse in Hetfield come in. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it sets a nice tone for, for what's coming next, where you're about to get your ass kicked on that verse. How huge is that verse riff? It sounds ginormous. Oh, it's it's huge. I mean, and, and, and you know what's great about it too. I'm gonna grab my guitar and see if this will come. This will, this will translate. Oh, this guy's got some luck on it. Uh, uh, I love that it's not like just a big power chord thing. If yeah. you can hear this, it's just a. You know, it's just it's it's like it's almost very '90s, like um, you know, like uh, Smashing Pumpkins doing like the, these kind of things. Sure. It, that's basically what it's a similar kind of chords, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I just love how simple that was when I first learned it. I remember, you know, back back then, like when you're a guitar player or a bass player, tab books were really cool and, and, and really exciting to get. And I had the Master of Puppets one. I remember getting the tab book for the Black Album and like some stuff I just couldn't play. But then that I, I learned, I was like, oh my gosh, like because back then as a musician, my brain couldn't really comprehend like how to how to figure out what they were playing no, by not. ear mm-hmm. and like you know I, my dad would figure out stuff by ear and, and show it to me and i'm like how do you do that and yeah. then the older i got the more i could do that and uh and so tab books were great great resource back then to learn your favorite songs and you know this song especially learning learning as much as i could that my 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 young guitar player hands could do back then you know, there were certain things I couldn't play and my hands weren't fast enough yet or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I remember I met your podcast, you said something about that recently, I think, and you were talking about, because I had exactly, when you said it, I was like, shit, that happened exactly to me, where you don't understand what drop D is, and you don't, yep. so you're playing the riff, but it sounds nothing like the riff, and, that, and my friend had to show me, and then when you can suddenly construct chords with one finger, that's game changing. Yeah, well, the same thing happened with Sabbath True, I didn't realize that it was in D standard yeah. tuning. You know, I thought it was drop D and it, it wouldn't make sense to me. I'm like, it doesn't sound like the record, you know. Then the older I got, I'm like, oh, this is what a, a different tuning is. You know, I didn't know. I was just tuning to the little tuner I had and going from there. And then it all made more sense the older I got. And yeah, the the verse riff is gargantuan, as we say. I love the singing quality, the new, 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 that kind of underscores the melody, but he's not just singing what he's playing, you know, they are, yeah. kind of, they've, they've got different elements to them. The production on the guitars as well. And just, I don't know, the emotions it connotes, like there's this, there's this real sense of kind of bittersweet nostalgia and growth and attrition mm-hmm. that he's obviously embodied through the lyrics, but just the sound of the verse makes me almost homesick i can't quite explain it yeah well no there's i mean hetfield definitely like there's a mood there that he sets with that verse and that melody and and the way he's singing it um i read online that he actually the vocals in the song were inspired by chris isaac's wicked game okay which makes sense if you listen to it it's very drawn out and like uh, especially on the choruses but yeah i mean those verses i mean it, it invokes a mood that's like kind of sad and i mean the whole idea of the song is pretty sad and stuff like that but um uh yeah, Hetfield just I think does a perfect job. I think Bob Rock really, really helped him. You know, much as, as much as he did with Kirk getting that solo down. Mm. You know, he really pushed Hetfield to you know because this is a whole different way of singing for him. I mean, there's you know he yeah, Fade to Black was a ballad and Sanitarium had its ballad parts, but you know he was just singing a little bit quieter. This one he's singing like you know soft at parts and and it's a lot different. Um, 
you know, than what he was used to singing and how he was used to singing in the studio. I mean, that chorus is so tender, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, man. No, it's, yeah, it's almost like he's not even using his full voice. It's like, you know, we, you know, a lot of singers talk about, you know, you know, when you sing hard, you're using your gut, you know, and then sometimes there's a term people will say your throat voice, you know, where you're, where you're singing, you're not pushing your diaphragm hard and you're singing softer. Sometimes people do that with falsetto notes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, Hetfield on these, chor- on these choruses, it's very soft. And, and you know, I'm, back then, I'm sure a lot of the old school fans were like, what is this? Like, he's singing so, like, sissy or whatever, <laughs> whatever they would describe it as. He's not even screaming, you know? dude. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to me, I, I think I think I gravitated towards this song and this album so much because I was fortunate enough to be raised, you know, in an environment where there was so much diversity in music being listened to. Uh-huh. And my dad was turning me on to all sorts of different things. And I discovered metal on my own through other friends, you know, at school and stuff. And right. so I, I had no issues with this record at all, especially this song, you know, when it came out and the, and the God, the video was so creepy and the old guy in it and stuff. Yeah. Like, I mean, such a nineties video, such a beautifully big budget. What does this mean? Mm-hmm. Really video, but just like in the bed, like, cause nowadays on YouTube, what is the music video? It's a fucking lyric video, isn't it? That, that's all they are. It, I mean, it's, it, it's all, you know, most music videos, you know, are, are just, they're just advertisements, yeah. you know, it's like, Hey, here's our new thing. But back, back in the nineties, it was a kind of a golden era for music videos. Cause it was, the budgets were huge. You know, you could make a, basically like a three and a half minute movie for your song and that's what metallica did with a lot you know a couple of these videos on the black album and especially the unforgiven video i mean it's it's so creepy it look it looks like a trailer for a movie or something it really 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 does and and the chorus yeah i just i love the 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 lilt of the melody the what i felt of me never shame doing what i was shown like just that kind of twist there in it i just think is yeah. is, is masterful and expert and an anthemic and yeah huge huge fan of this song the song continues and builds and builds we have our second verse second chorus again soft heavy into mm-hmm. this Hollywood guitar solo, like this giant. You say Hollywood? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's something you'd almost. It's like a blockbuster solo. It's kind of just <laughs> yeah, got yeah, it's all the sort of yeah. guitar hero theatrics of it, and it kind of fits the mood of like um, you know, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly kind of vista coming out there. And um, I don't know about right. you, but I, I love both sections. I love the start where Kirk is more um, you know, inquisitive and curious. It's got that kind of Spanish pulse and swoon, and then when it kicks mm-hmm. in to uh, how. You can play this solo. I mean, I know it's not like Steve Vai, but it's pretty testing in terms of emotion. Like. No, there's uh, no, there's definitely some parts in it that are that are challenging. That uh, they're not necessarily like too fast or anything, mm. but just the way that Kirk plays it and the positioning that it's in, it, it took me a bit to to relearn it. You know, when I got older, I, I haven't played the solo in, in, a, in a couple of years. So no, right, right, right. I can't just whip it out right now and have <laughs> yeah. to practice it again. But, but it is. It's a fun solo to play mm. once you get it down. If you you know if you're out, if you're listening, you're like a guitar player. It, it, it really is it's it's challenging but but not hard enough to where it's without you know out of your realm of possibility but yeah it is uh it, it, to me it's it's very much like you know an, an orchestral piece in that solo section you know yes. it, the, dy- the dynamics of the whole band you know go from quiet to slowly get louder and it comes in huge with the, the you know the uh, the more distorted solo um but yeah man it, it, it's it's it, I still think it's my favorite Kirk Hammett solo in Metallica. Yeah, I mean, you know? yeah, it's definitely up there, isn't it? It's certainly one of his most acclaimed, I think. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not the kind of guitar player or Metallica fan that thinks that, you know, the fastest solo is the best one or right. the most technical or whatever. I love those things 
equally, you know, in, at times. But I mean, this to me is just such a well thought out solo, and he was pushed really hard by Bob Rock to really get it down right. And uh, and we have Bob and Kirk to thank for that because it's like now we have this iconic solo. I mean, yeah, it was, it, it's it's insane, man. Um, I, I pulled up this thing on uh, me and Clint use this website a lot when we're doing our listen throughs of records called Genius Lyrics. Oh yeah, love it. But there's a cool quote from Kirk. He says that was probably the most challenging solo on the album. I had I had something worked out before I got in the studio, and Bob felt it wasn't quite appropriate. He asked if I could try something dirtier, more sustaining, something more in the vein of Jeff Beck. Uh, at first, I was kind of hurt, but then I realized it was right. I started finger-picking a choral thing. Bob liked it the way it sounded. He said, why don't you play that entire guitar solo with your fingers um, and really pull on the strings and slap them against the frets. It was a cool idea. I did it, and it sounded really percussive. Uh, that was the first time I finger-picked a solo on an album. So that, that I think what he's talking about is the first half of the solo. Yeah. Because uh, you and you can hear you can hear that finger picking mm-hmm. and that kind of pluck when he pulls the string a little harder, um, but yeah, man, it, it's hands down my favorite Metallica solo ever. Yeah, yeah, and it just you know I mean look we slander Kirk heavily over here Alf Metallica and I think one of the one of the things that he does that just kind of annoys me that guitar players always do and I. I I mean, a bit of a tangent, but have you seen A Star Is Born, the most recent one with Lady Gaga? You know, I, I never watched that, actually. I've heard it was great, and I should have watched it. Uh, I I, I, it wasn't my vibe, to be honest with you. Um, and it, it, it opens with Bradley Cooper, who's kind of like this. He's, he's a bit like Dan Auerbach from the Black Keys. He's kind of in a riffy rock band. And he does a guitar solo as the credits are playing, but he literally plays one note. And he'll sort of squeeze it for worth and there's vibrato, but he's literally just playing one note. He doesn't move on. And, like, Kurt can sometimes do that. He'll just hang on certain things and phrases for a bar too many. Whereas this solo, he's constantly changing. He's twisting just at the right moment, building and building. And, right. you know, I, I, for, for me, that's why it's so captivating and so classic. And it just Well, yeah, totally. Well, it's, it's also, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, bands will be in the studio for maybe a month, six weeks, two months. I mean, they made this record over the course of, of almost a year, yeah. you know, and, and, and I mean, with everything said and done, obviously the year and a half, like the documentary. But I mean, they had so much time to overthink every little part and every solo and every percussion thing. And so, I mean, Kirk, you know, even though he came in with the solo already made, I mean, probably took elements of that. And then with Bob Rock pushing him, he, he had ample time to make sure this was the best it could be. And I think he succeeded in that. And yeah, I mean, it's, it it almost sounds like something that, you know, a composer for a film would have written. Yeah. It's, it fits like a glove and, you know, I've got to give huge, huge props to Kurt because pretty much on every song on black album, but certainly on the main five singles, they all have unforgettable guitar solos. Like he brought it. Absolutely. I mean, okay. Nothing else matters. Obviously he didn't do that, but the other four, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every solo that Kirk does on the record, I mean, I think is well thought out mm-hmm. and, and some of his best guitar work, hands down, you know. Um, there's awesome guitar solos on every record, but I mean, that, well, there's none, none of St. Anger, but... No. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, this one specifically, I remember when, when we when we listened down to this record with Paul doing, you know, our listen through oh, the yeah, whole yeah. Black album, there was so many compliments on Kirk's lead playing. It was like, you know, Jesus just in top form on this record, man. That's- you can tell he just... Yeah, I, I just I got no, I have zero bad things to say about the solo on this record, on this song, on the, any on this record. I have zero negative things to say about the blackout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and we've unforgiven. Yeah, I mean, Cars and Table obviously is a classic metal song. I absolutely adore this song, but yeah, it just kind of like right. it makes me sad when you see Kirk in the hardwired sessions with Greg Fiddleman and a laptop. 
and it's just they're just chopping and changing. It's like Kirk needs someone on his collar. You know what I mean? He, I think he needs that. Yeah. Like, a producer rather than just Pro Tools rearranging this warlick. Right. Yeah. I know that that's kind of become like their 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 way of writing mm. is taking parts and moving them around stuff. And like I'll do that too sometimes when I work in Logic. And sure. If I if I write some stuff, I'm like, oh, you know, I actually like that guitar part. I'm gonna put that at this part. But then I'll redo the whole thing. I think they've gotten kind of comfortable with that. I mean, you see, you saw them do it a lot in, on St. Anger and um, in some kind of monster documentary. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you in that. Like, I, I do kind of miss that Bob Rock figure really pushing him. And, and Greg Fiddleman is, is kind of becoming that, I think. Um, you know, and, and I, with Hardwired, when it initially came out, I wasn't super stoked on a lot of Kirk's solos. But the more I've listened to it over the last almost three years, I know, three I've years. really grown grown to uh, to love some of those solos. Uh-huh. And, you know, as the song pushes forward, then we don't really have any new parts per se. There's not like a sort of bridge section that moves in a different direction. We just kind of reiterate with a third verse and third chorus. Like, lyrically, what are you reading into this track? I mean, it's... It's, it's a bit of a sad song, you know, I mean, there's, there's stuff, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, with time that the child draws in this whipping boy done wrong. I mean, whipping boys like another for scapegoat, mm-hmm. um, uh, I'm pulling up a couple little facts about the lyrics here. Oh, yeah. Cause it's some lyrics I love, like deprived of all his thoughts, this young man struggles on and on. He's known. This is saying that, you know, since society does not condone original thinking and a fair chance for a child to be purely unique, the child's abstract thoughts get taken away from him as he is left deprived. Um, this de- deprivation takes a toll on the child and it ages him internally. He's not physically a young man now. It, it, I think a lot of that, the personification of that is in the video with that old man, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, some of this, I think these are some of James's best lyrics, you know? I mean, even the chorus, what I felt would have known, never shine through what I've shown, never be, never see, won't see what might have, won't see what might have been. Yeah. Um, there's so much good stuff in here, you know? It's, he really stepped up his game on this album, I think, you know, especially with songs like this, where, you know, on Justice, you know, there was a lot of stuff on Justice that was about, you know, like, um, whether it's political or a lot of stuff about, you know, like Blacken is about destroying Earth, you know, and all these much what seem like darker themes. But then there's also some good dark stuff on here. But I think Hetfield is as, as a lyricist matured immensely going into this record. Yeah, yeah, I think his lyrics are great here, really, and they're kind of succinct but enigmatic as well. And you know, moving that pronoun towards the listener, I dub thee unforgiven, you've labelled me, and mm-hmm. you know, this remains uh, a classic for the band. Absolutely, um, four hundred ninety-three times it's been played live. I would have expected more, to be honest with you. You said 493? 493. Considering that, like, your Sandman's and Nothing Else Matters are in the thousands. Um, it, it was basically yeah. because it, was nev- it wasn't really played after the Black Album tour, I think until the St. Anger tour. So it's kind of a, quite a few cycles it missed. Right, yeah. I mean, well, and then you got songs, I mean, Nothing Else Matters, and, I mean, obviously, Under Sandman was their most massive hit ever. They're never going to not play it. Yeah. Nothing Else Matters is, a, I, I would say, close second. I mean, that, that song's always in the set now, you mm-hmm. know, right before Sandman. Um I, I, in my dream world, the, one of the three Unforgivens would be played at every show, but unfortunately, it's, you know that's not the case. But we did get Unforgiven three at S and M two, so we did, we did indeed, yeah. And uh, I mean, you'll, you'll have... you, you can discuss in two episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've already recorded our Unforgiven two episode. Which oh, you did. Okay. I, I, I did savage that song mercilessly. I have to say, 
I um, kind of baffled. I thought that was your favorite one. <laughs> yeah, no, you got you got the complete wrong end of the stick there. Yeah, uh, but um, but no, guys, let us know what you think about the Unforgiven and all the trilogy. And as we always do, we reach out to you on Twitter. Uh, at Metallica Pod, just a few reviews here. Uh, Deep Purple Podcast saying, it blew my mind when it first came out. Hearing Metallica do a song like this was a shock and exciting to see them try something different. I still think the video is just too much. Jack says, by far the best of the Unforgiven trilogy, one of Metallica's best ballads. Rouse says, we're definitely startled by this one on my first listen through the album. Yeah, the first three tracks signaled a, depart- a departure from to a more rock metal style, but this was something completely different. Het was really singing. Luckily, I had an open mind even as a teenager and gave it a chance. The song is an absolute masterpiece and now a live staple. James's vocals mm-hmm. are a highlight, as is Kirk's stunning guitar player of the year solo that Bob Rock was able to call from him. I never tire of hearing this one. My favourite of the trilogy, closified by a follow by Unforgiven Free. Jason says, probably the best of the slower Kirk solos. I love watching Bob Rock push him to greatness with this one. A true gem in the catalogue and the best song on the album. Uh, sorry, best song on the Black Album. And Fixer saying, uh, James's magnum opus. A powerful song that deserved to be on the original S&M. Um, any final thoughts? I, on, I mean, you totally agree, right? I don't know why it wasn't was, on that record. That's that's my, one of my final thoughts is, is yeah. I'm still shocked that they didn't have it on S&M, you know? And I knew that going into S&M 2, they weren't going to most likely not going to do any older songs because they kind of specified that in, in the announcement. Mm. Um, but the one thing that I was hoping for is because they said, we're going to do Michael Kamen's arrangements. And my whole thought, which I've mentioned on our show was, well, maybe he did arrangements for the unforgiven or for fade to black or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they just never, never did them on the first one, but obviously I was incorrect. And, uh, yeah, I, I just yeah, I'm still kind of baffled why the unforgiven never made it. It was like, it, it's to me, it's like a no brainer to be on there. But, uh, but hey, if you're a fan of S&M and you're bummed that it wasn't on there, just go go listen to Alpha Metallica's version of Four Cellos. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think it I, really I, is. I think I, yeah, I think I didn't really know what I was doing with the oboe, but I think it came together in the end. <laughs> have you? Have you? Oh, I said Alpha Metallica. <laughs> oh right. Meant, sorry, Apocalyptica. About, so I was gonna say, now. yeah, what? Yeah, I sort of went with it. To Tom's, <laughs> listen to Tom's battle rap version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do a no, cover no, or all black. Op- Apocalyptica stuff is amazing. If you haven't heard that, yeah. if, if you're a Metallica fan and haven't heard that, I, I don't understand what, what's you, going um, on. But have you have you done an episode on Apocalyptica on Metal Your Podcast? We haven't yet, actually. Yeah. You know, we've we've mentioned them quite a bit. Yeah. You know, when, when we when we talked about the 30th anniversary shows because they opened one of them and stuff. Um, we haven't actually done a proper episode on those. I actually would love to do a listen through like we have been with all the records and stuff uh-huh yeah yeah that, that's a yeah that's a good chat actually that would be a really good episode so um i mean yeah that's about it guys for unforgiven obviously <laughs> we're both giant fans of this song didn't need to tell you that um but you know metal your podcast Ethan. finally like so it, it's a behemoth right i mean it must be bigger than you would <laughs> ever imagined it have gotten like oh yeah man it, it's it's definitely gone beyond what we ever thought you know the first month we launched it we're like man it'd be cool if we got like a thousand listens mm. you know and now we're getting like thirty thousand downloads a month oh. you know and all sorts of social media following and you know i mean even just like what we were talking about earlier of like having metallica fans that are also fans of our show that want to come out to shows of ours or meet up with us on the road out for a beer whatever it's just really cool and i think a big part of it growing beyond our expectations is the fact that we've made so many friends out of it. It's not just like, hmm. you know, Oh, there's this metal podcast fan coming to the show and I say hello and take a picture. It's not like that. It's like, no, we're really getting to know these people, you know, obviously like you and people like Sarah and Pete Sobek and oh, yeah. Anya, all these, all these people that we, we have communicated with so many times. And 
it truly is this like whole other family that we didn't even know really we knew it existed but we didn't think we'd be a part of it you know we thought we'd just be something fun for them to listen to here and there and then all of a sudden it's turned into this whole whole other beast you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean yeah i mean it's a testament to the quality of you two as well like you have a great chemistry and um, yeah man, you well, know, thank you and like yeah it just it just shines through and it has been wonderful um to see it go down and you know you put so much effort into the show as well like you're constantly touring but you make time for it in those schedules really yeah it's, i mean it's it blows my mind that we've we've been able to put out content every week even even if we've been on other parts of the planet you know i mean i'm the furthest away i remember being was like clint was at home or somewhere near nashville and i was in like poland or romania i think mm-hmm and we were still able to record an episode. It was, I was like, this is not going to work. The internet sucks at this hotel I'm at. And then it, it worked out. It's insane. And just, just recently when me and Clint were both on vacation, our, our vacations literally butted up next to each other. So we had to pre-record a couple episodes because we wanted to have proper vacations and not have to worry about yeah. the podcast or anything like that. So we pre-recorded some episodes, you know, radio episodes and stuff. And that's the longest we've ever stepped away from the podcast in almost three years. And what's next? Like, is it ever going to end or... <laughs> I'm sure eventually it'll end. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, Clint and I have, have definitely, <clears throat> you know, casually talked about like the future of it and like, you know, what could what could this turn into? You know, at a certain point, you know, will it end? You know, is it? We don't. We just don't know. We're kind of taking it day by day, and you know, again, yeah, we just we just don't know. We're, we're just kind of going with the flow, and you know, a lot of times, a lot of it is, is based upon what the band is doing too. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like if all of a sudden they go radio silent for six months because they're making a record or something, it might be one of those things where it's like, all right, well, maybe we transition this into a different type of music podcast until they tick back up or. Yeah, I don't know, man. You know, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I know that anyone listening and stuff, you know, they don't want it to end, you know, and in a way, neither do we. But at a certain point, you know, you you kind of can maybe you've covered everything you can cover without without digging up episode topics that sound kind of desperate or something you know what i mean sure, sure. i think mean, when you get to your free part ron mcgovney episodes that'll probably <laughs> be the end that might be the end yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah there's i mean there, yeah i mean there, there, there's i'll say this at this point right now we we don't feel at all that we're like you know pulling pulling hairs no you're you're, you're in your prime right now like <laughs> what well, it's weird to feel that it's weird to feel that way or hear you say that when we've already covered like the majority of like content that they've put out over the years, meaning records and documentaries and all this been notable live shows. Um, but then we sit back and think like, wow, all the, all the other things we've talked about, there's so many other things that we haven't covered yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean look, you know, they're a huge ginormous band. You could find so much stuff to go into and like mm-hmm. all, all the, so what issues have loads of cool articles and history and you know like do you remember right. did you, have you heard about that concert i forget where they went it was like in 95 metallica and like uh hole and courtney love oh in canada yeah yeah, yeah like you should do an episode on that uh, to be honest i should do an episode mm-hmm. i don't want to give away my ideas here but uh you know there's so much stuff that's definitely on the uh that's definitely on the mental list of, mm-hmm. of episodes you know and the cool thing too about about doing this is is you know before we launched him I mean, we had a list on my phone of like you know a hundred different ideas or whatever and i still have it on my phone and i go through it sometimes and i'm like wow we didn't even do half of these because we as time went on we, we just got better ideas and sometimes it was you know uh, a, a fan of the show writing in and saying like 
hey, I'd love to hear you guys' take on this or whatever. Then it would it would make us kind of think like, oh, that would be cool. Then maybe we can turn it into this or that. You know, so new subject ideas have have, have come up. Con- they come up constantly, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's so it's so interesting, you know. And of course, you know, we've covered all the records. Other than, we haven't done Lulu yet, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you got to do Lulu. We will eventually. We're both just dreading it because <laughs> we know because we're not fans of it. You know, it's um, right, right. You know, and, and and there's a couple live things that we'll probably soon cover, like you know, well, like live at Grimey's, which was the one they did here in Nashville, yeah. where they played in, in a room that barely holds 200 people. And it was the first like small club gig they'd done in years, and I'm friends with Grimey, who owns the record store and, and the venue. The venue is actually called the Basement. They just called mm-hmm. it Live at Grimey's. Um, and I've talked to him about being on the show, and he wants to do it. We just haven't, you know, schedules haven't been able to work it out. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, there's there's also you know we haven't really done Cliff Em All or stuff, you know, um, a couple you know things like that. But uh, yeah, we're definitely uh, part of it is planned out. Part of it is just kind of like just flying by the seat of our pants, like mm-hmm. what's going to happen next, you know, like. This week with all the SNM two stuff, like we just I literally came home from Clint's house right before this and we recorded uh, a recap of SNM two with Chris Yurgis. And um, you know, also this week we're gonna talk to, you know, the guy uh, Scott, who is the, the upright bass player for the orchestra that did anesthesia. Fuck. You know, we reached out we reached out to him and so we we have cool stuff coming up like that, you know. So some yeah. some weeks we have an episode plan and all of a sudden it changes like crazy, you know. Look. Um that's insane. I've I've got the popcorn vendor who was at S and M two, and he was oh, actually beh- be he was actually behind a concrete column downstairs. But still, he heard some well, rumbling. Listen, so. as a huge as a huge popcorn fan, and I'm not <laughs> kidding. I'm, I love popcorn so much. I'm okay. obsessed with popcorn. I would love to hear what that guy has to say about the show. <laughs> he doesn't even know Metallica, are, but uh, no, I appreciate. Right, it. exactly. <laughs> so um, I guess finally, like um, I know you do another podcast, uh, Pirate Satellite Radio. Is that right? Sorry, yeah, wanna, yeah, it's called the Pirate Satellite. Yeah, it, it's it's very very part time. I, I put out a new episode maybe about a month ago with this artist named Sean McConnell who I was on tour with last spring. Um, yeah, I'm trying to now that I'm kind of home more. Um, I'm trying to get that kind of somewhat more consistent, maybe an episode every other week. That one's very, very simple format. I just, I just talk to an artist of some kind, whether it's music or art, or you know, I had my friend who was a tattoo artist on, a friend who was a clothing designer on it. You, you um, had Clint on, right? Yeah, Clint. Uh, Clint. That predates the podcast. We, I had crazy. him on before we even talked about doing doing Metal Pure Podcast. Um, yeah, which seems like forever ago now. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, it's a fun. It's it's just me and a person sitting down having a conversation. There's no. I don't insert like clips like we do, like me and Clint do, nothing like that, other than clips of the, the if like I'm interviewing a, an artist, you know, that makes records, I might put mm-hmm. a clip of their song at the beginning and the end, and that's about it. But it's pretty straightforward, just a recorded conversation, you know, less interview style, more of just, you just having a chat. And um, your music as well, like your band camp, Let It Burn, stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got a band camp page you can go to, which is, uh, uh, I think it's just ethanluck.bandcamp.com. <laughs> something like that uh but it's uh, yeah all my stuff on spotify itunes youtube whatever a- anywhere you can st- buy or stream music you can find my stuff of my let it burn records like a reggae ska record i've got some punk rock stuff i've released um yeah all sorts of stuff on there that i just you know I- like i said before i grew up in a very diverse family of music and i i still that still resonates with me and so i, I can't hardly ever stick with one style of music that i like to perform and record a good example is our, our cover our world blackened eps that we we give out to our patrons mm-hmm. and two of those are on, on on itunes and spotify you can listen to them and one of them i decided i'm going to do all reggae covers of metallica songs and see how it translates and it, i thought it came out pretty well <laughs> no yeah it really really did the memory remains one was great 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, if you're out there and want to check out my music, yeah, you can definitely, uh, def- you'll definitely hear all sorts of different styles come out of it. You know, my, you know, even on my reggae tunes, there's one that has like a very like reverb Western guitar solo on it. You know, um, I just, I love that stuff, you know, and uh, I love trying new things and, you know, much like much like Metallica has over their whole career, you know, they've evolved as a band and changed sounds a lot. And like, I always, you know, you're hesitant at first, but then it grows on you and, and you understand why they did it. And, and it's the same thing with me and writing and recording music is I, I you know, I don't want to keep making the same record over and over again. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, this has been great. And maybe in two years you can come on and we can speak about Sandinista or something like that, you know? Hey, dude, speak my language, man. I'm the, yeah. The, the, unapologetically uh the clash is my favorite band <clears throat> right next to metallica you know metallica might be a little bit above now because of the podcast because i'm in so deep but um yeah the clash is uh I, you know i own every clash record on vinyl bootlegs all that stuff uh joe strummer is one of my musical heroes so i'm definitely uh you know what's funny a little side note to end on is when i when i originally had the idea to do a metallica podcast at one point I was thinking of it, I was going to do a clash podcast. Mm. Those were the two bands. I was like, there's not a podcast about either of these bands. So <clears throat> maybe I could do a clash one. And then it turned, you know, Metallica. I was like, okay, well, Metallica is still an active band. It'd probably be more relevant and, you know, a lot more content to cover with them than maybe the clash, but you know, who knows, maybe in the future I'll, I'll do a clash podcast. Yeah. I just, I just Googled it actually, as you were speaking and it looks like Spotify getting in the podcast game and there's an eight-part Clash podcast, History of the Clash, narrated, yep. by, narrated by Chuck D. I'm guessing you've heard that. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, I haven't I haven't heard all. I listened to all the episodes yet, mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> but yeah, and and you know, speaking of, I mean, Chuck D. It, Public Enemy is my favorite hip hop group of all time. Yeah, I think Chuck D. is the best MC of all time, and uh, I'm a huge fan of Chuck D. and Public Enemy. And so when I saw that got released, I'm like, my God, this is like curated for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know? Yeah, I know that's incredible. That'd be uh, like that'd be like Tom Waits doing a Boston podcast for me. Like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm sure he despises their music, but uh, yeah, hey, this... man, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. Uh, but yeah, this has been great, guys. Um, follow us at Metallica Pod. We'll be back soon for Unforgiven Two. Uh, we've already done that episode, so that will be on the Patreon now. So if you listen to this and you want to hear that straight away, support us on the Patreon, iTunes. Uh, support Metal at your podcast as well on Patreon. Go check out there. Go subscribe. Go on iTunes. Ethan, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on, sir. Yeah, man. My pleasure, man. It's always a good time to do it. Let's let's not wait two years next yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Take it easy, man. All right, buddy.